0: This is and this is Ryan, and this is the Nintendo Show, the best damn Nintendo podcast on the internet. This is the mini show for the month of December 2023, and we'll talk about whatever we damn well please. I got a few games on the list here. Wes, you got any games?
1: I, well,
0: kind of, yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. good.
1: I got one I could talk partially about.
0: Nice, Ryan, you got anything
2: on tap? Uh, Not really. I've been playing a lot of one game. So,
0: is it Dave got... the Diver?
2: It is, in fact. I can fill you guys in a little bit on more of that if you wanted to hear it, but... you know, I do. Don't have to go too, too long-winded about it.
0: But before we get to that, let's time capsule this episode. Oh, yeah,
2: let's do it. You and time capsules.
0: Uh, we didn't time capsule on the Pokemon show. However, there is it. something really specific that I wanted to talk to Ryan about as we're time capsuling this. Uh, oh. Ryan, are the Orlando Magic good? Yeah.
2: Yeah, they're actually very, very Shut good right now. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. um, I I never
1: thought I'd see that in my lifetime.
2: Yeah, yeah. So they're basically, um, they had picked up, they had hit on a couple of draft picks. They've had a lot of high draft picks over the past few years because they've been kind of, on average, one of the five worst teams recently. Mm. Um, So they've ended up getting some high picks. And this is one of those scenarios where a rebuild really works out well in their favor. Um, A lot of the guys that they got have really come along strong. And everyone just sort of sees them as not only being good, but, like, being basically a year ahead of where they were expected to be. Um, specifically, they picked up a forward, two forwards that are really, really good, uh, Franz Wagner and Paolo Banqueiro. Um And Paolo Bancaro, especially, he was the number one draft pick of last year, so this is his second year. And he has just been phenomenal. He's been playing so, so well. And so has Franz, and so has the rest of the team. They had this guy, Jalen Suggs, who's been playing great. Cole Anthony is on the team. Wendell Carter Jr. is their center. He's fantastic. Um, uh, The perennially um, injured—oh god, I can't even think of the guy's name. There's the center that they've had for a number of years, uh, Jonathan Isaac. He's finally healthy and is not great. He's like, I believe, got like the second largest contract on the team, and he only plays like ten minutes. But you know, the ten to fifteen minutes he plays have been very good. Um, I think the Magic currently have a top three record in the NBA East, which is absolutely bonkers in consecutive games. They ended up beating Boston. Um, and then they beat Denver who are two of widely regarded as kind of one and two in the NBA right now. So, um, yeah, I think they're like something in the neighborhood of maybe 16 and seven, maybe 16 and eight. So, um, just, just absolutely crushing it this year. They have the number one defense in the NBA right now. Um, and their offense is, is average, which is really all you need. They, I think they're like 14th in offense out of 30 teams, and number one in defense. Yeah, put those together, and you're a, you're a good team. You have a really really good team. Wow. Just exciting to watch. And yeah yeah now's a now's a good time to check in on the Magic. Uh, it's it's um, I thought they were going to be better than their wins expectation this year, and it's still you're still only a quarter of the way through the season, but. Um, yeah, things are things are really looking up for Orlando, which is good. So,
0: and the other time capsule topic is also sports related. Uh, Shohei Otani, mm. formerly of the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, became a free agent after the season and signed a ten-year contract with the Los Angeles Dodgers. So, moved across town there in Southern California um, for seven hundred million dollars. It's a lot of money.
2: Oh, I heard about this. Yeah. Largest
0: contract in sports history, however, it is the big however, like 85% of the contract is deferred till 2034. He's basically making $2 million a year, and then they'll start paying him more once the contract is basically over. And there's some speculation as to why he did this, to like make room on this already stacked team that has Mookie Betts, and, and Freddie Freeman and all these great players to bring in even more players to try to build this this super team um, that it looks like they're trying to do uh, out West. Because they, they've kind of, uh, they did win, I think they won the World Series in 2020, the the COVID year, the, the shortened season. Um, but otherwise they've been unable to get over the hump and it looks like they're finally getting desperate. But for some reason, Otani agreed to this unbelievably team-friendly deal and the the speculation is that they're trying to bring in more players Uh, he's going to make a lot of money on endorsements and things like that so it's not like he needs to get the contract a guaranteed like average annual salary from the dodgers right away he'll start making tons and tons of money when the the contract is up and there's like a, a lot of talk within, you know, the the baseball commentary community about, you know, why he did this and how it's structured and how the Dodgers are really getting away with uh, murder here because the the way like this deferred money isn't going to affect their salary cap and because of inflation and things like it's not going to have the same value as it did when he signed the contract and why Otani is doing it because of tax implications. Like if he, if he doesn't live in California anymore, he wouldn't be subject to all these taxes and stuff. And there's like a lot of math happening as to how this money works out. And that really wasn't the first thing that crossed my mind. Like A lot of the conversation about this contract is about the two parties, Otani and the Dodgers, and how the money is being distributed. And really my first thought when I saw this contract was that if I were just some guy playing baseball, just trying to stay within the major leagues... I would be super pissed about this contract. Now, we'll put an asterisk here. I don't have a 100% understanding of how Major League Baseball contracts work. Maybe I have a misunderstanding about how they happen here. However, there is something called the Major League Minimum. So if you're a Major League player and you sign a contract with a team, there is a minimum amount of money that they have to give you on a Major League deal, even if it's just for a year. And that minimum, the way I understand it, is an average of everybody's salary, which is why the Players Association, the union, tries to encourage players to take the biggest money possible that they can possibly get. Because then all of the average salaries that the players are making that year rises. So that the players who are just trying to stay in the big leagues end up making just a little bit more money to help them, you know, live their lives. And with Shohei Otani making $2 million. Salary. So the
2: union has to be pissed cuz he
0: should be the highest paid he player should, in the He baseball. should be if he were making 70 million dollars a year and that was affecting the major league minimum like bringing the average up as I suspect it does they would be elated. Is he's making 2 million dollars he is one of the lowest paid players on the Dodgers and he's the best player in the league and if that's bringing down the annual the average annual salary so these major league minimum contracts are being dragged down yeah if i were the, the in the players union i would be fucking pissed at this guy like, what are you doing like, i understand like you want well, to win and here's the world the thing is like
2: the money's got to come due at some point though right so it sounds yep. like the dodgers can pretty much know that they'll be like the worst team in baseball circa
0: 2030 well, so the, the the implications of that, like when in twenty thirty four, when they have to start like paying out the big money, um, the competitive balance tax, the the amount that the, the threshold for when you hit the luxury tax is going to be raised up, so they can just continue to dish out money and not really suffer too much of a penalty for having this guy who's making uh, 40 50 million dollars on their books they can just keep on paying players and they don't see, really seem to care about the luxury tax at this point which you know they shouldn't and so if you have a lot of money you should spend it and pay your taxes to help the other teams out that's how it should be but they're not helping anyone by only giving this guy two million dollars like i understand why he's doing it he wants a world series he wants multiple world series so he's going to go to a team and help them out by being able to pay as many players as possible to build a super team i understand why they're doing it if you can get shohei otani for two million dollars you definitely do it every year it's not helping his fellow union members and that's kind of fucked up
2: yeah well to think about it from a basketball perspective and basketball is a different ecosystem because like they do have a salary cap and a luxury tax essentially that you pay into but they're talking about that a lot right now when it comes to long-term contracts that they're signing because i believe it's only two more years on the current deals and the cap is going to go up big um because basketball is growing it has been growing crazy crazy fast over the past 10-15 years so the entire team's salary cap is going to increase so if you sign a guy right now and you're in the cap you'll eventually come under it or you may be over it you may be paying in the luxury tax but you'll eventually sort of catch up to that if you sign a a guy to a big contract now and you know it's it's the whole reason why Golden State was able to pick up Kevin Durant is because during that season caps expanded a bunch they were able to acquire a superstar on a team that was already you know packed with really good players players admittedly they, they had drafted but they were able to bring him in in a scenario that wouldn't occur really any other year. But what I want to know is, like, baseball as a sport, frankly, is, like, shrinking. Like, I don't know. Like, it'll keep up with inflation, I guess. Or I mean, I'm sure inflation's involved in some capacity. But, like, baseball viewership is, like, going down. Like, baseball is becoming a more niche sport. They don't really have the room to kind of play around with contracts like that.
0: So where the money comes from in baseball? Because what you're saying, like there, there are definitely some teams where attendance is down, viewership is down. But like that, that kind of like waxes and wanes. Like as teams like you know the, the the Pirates, the Reds, as they get better, their attendance and viewership goes back up. So you know n- another reason to why like why you should be building competitive teams. Um, but a lot of the money in baseball is from like TV contracts with like local TV, like having your own sort of like. Uh, uh, a team network you see it like with uh, with the Yankees with like the YES network in Boston with uh, Ness and their local TV network where they this is where they like all the money comes in with these TV deals um but like the other like baseball is like as you're saying becoming more of like a, a like a boutique sport a, a bit more niche I you think know, you have like people but who But literally... kind of
2: but that's the problem though that this end this is, this is this is if it's as bad as it ends up being where the Dodgers are just winning year after year like Nationally televised games are done if they don't involve the Dodgers. If it doesn't involve the Dodgers or the Yankees or Boston, no one's going to care. Like no one's going to tune in to TBS, ESPN, a major network to watch a regular season baseball game. If they're if you're watching two teams that are just aren't even competitive and it doesn't matter what their record is.
0: Yep. Um, no one's and like, and, and to your point, like the Rays, they're, Always competitive. They're over in Tampa and St. Pete. They have been putting a good product on the field for like 15 years straight now, and they can't get people into that stadium. And it's it's really sad. But you know, like as as the sort of a uh, demographic and, and viewership of baseball uh, changes uh, and and grows and shrinks and uh, morphs around the, um, the 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 money comes from other places. Like, there's a lot of money in baseball. Like, they they make money hand over fist, but it's not from ticket sales.
2: Also, why are there no dead cap rules on something like this? Like, I, I feel like this is, because of this contract, they'll just change the rules. They'll say, your dead cap hit, like, I mean, again, they don't have a cap in the way that a traditional sport would, but like, if you sign a guy in football and then you're like, fuck this guy and you cut him, you can't just bring in somebody else to replace his contract. The fact that you cut a guy means that it's a dead cap hit. You can't if you spent if his contract was twenty million dollars, that's twenty million dollars in dead cap. You can't go and acquire twenty million dollars worth of players to replace them. You have to wait till the next season to get bring new players in. Hmm. Like in and, and there are certain trade scenarios too where if you trade guys under certain contracts, then they count against your dead cap space. So I imagine the MLB is not going to want the new like this to be the blueprint for future trading going forward. Wasn't there like a, again, I'm hopping all over the place, wasn't there like a Mets player that was getting paid like 20 years after he retired or something?
0: So that, that sort of thing isn't entirely uncommon where there's deferred money in a contract, but it's never this amount. It's like a, a couple million dollars. To that I feel like they'll play. have to
2: make it a rule where it says that only a certain percentage of the entire Contract can be distributed after the years played, and it shouldn't be more than like ten percent. That's like insane. Why? Would I, I think
0: that? that will probably come up at the next uh, collective bargaining agreement and, and negotiations. Because and why don't they just veto the trade? Like the NBA vetoes trades all the time.
2: I well, all the time, but it's happened. It's happened when there's been weird scenarios like that. Now, use a free agent wasn't a trade. Oh, it was a free agent.
0: Yep. But yeah, there, there's no limit on how much money they can defer for how long. So. Uh, the Red Sox were paying Manny Ramirez, a uh, noted cheater who they traded to the Dodgers. Um, they, they were paying him up until just a few years ago. And I think like uh, Pablo Sandoval, who didn't even play very much in Boston, they uh, just in the past couple of years uh, finished out his contract. But they were, they were like a couple million bucks. Um, fun fact that our buddy Jason of the Discord group was able to to provide last year. Ken Griffey Jr. was the highest-paid player on the Reds, and he's That's been retired funny. for like two decades.
2: Oh yeah, I just found it. Yeah, Bobby Bonilla. Bobby Bonilla gets paid one point two million dollars a year and will through twenty twenty
0: nine.
2: Like I don't hmm. even know when the when the last time Bobby Bonilla has played a game.
0: It's it's like a pension. Yeah, yeah, it's true. I mean, but but that's anyway. the thing. they
2: already have the union. These guys probably get crazy checks from from their union if they were if they were stars and played for ten years. I imagine they're getting some really nice pay from from their union.
0: Mm. But yeah, that's uh, it's a thing. It's, that's, it's... yeah, that's
2: really weird. I, I imagine that's the that's like probably the last we'll see of a contract like that, unless the uh, I don't know, unless the baseball commissioner has no teeth that just doesn't seem like it's a sustainable business model
0: yeah yeah because who knows what happens 10 years from now we could be on the verge of a, of a, a massive just a nationwide economic collapse and then like the there, economy could no be fine
2: there. and baseball could still contract that's the thing they need to be aware of they might need to cut this league down to 20 teams
0: no no, no. baseball is expanding like they're gonna add a team, uh, they're gonna add two teams possibly into Nashville, and I don't think they've decided. I don't think they've Seriously? decided for sure. And ever, and yeah, yeah, yeah. They're gonna, they're gonna go up to thirty-two. So like, Ooh, it's okay. it's it's baseball's in a weird spot because, like you're saying, like the audience uh, going to to live or even like national televised stuff, the audience is not as big as the other two major sports, but there's still money in this sport. They're enough money to give out $700 million over the course of a century or whatever the fuck they're going to do.
2: Yeah, I mean, like, well, in, in for, like, not Premier League, but in, like, professional soccer, like, Ronaldo makes $200 million a year. And he just makes that flat as on the face of every year. <laughs> that, <laughs> like, there, there's a lot of money to be made if you are in the top tier of sports and, and the largest... You know, professional
0: sports out there. So. Like, I think we've we've probably talked about this before, and we will eventually talk about video games. But we've probably talked about like uh, uh, soccer in the United States, and how like uh, probably not as popular a sport here, in part because our best athletes don't play it. If guys like LeBron James, Aaron Judge, Mookie Betts, like if, if these guys like uh, played soccer. As opposed to the other sports that they play, we'd probably have a better product and we'd be more oh, interested totally. in yeah, it. Yeah, Like, could you imagine, I'm, like, I'm sure, guys... I'm
2: sure if, you know, if China cared about football, they'd probably be able mm. to put together a team.
0: <laughs> yeah. But, like, uh, uh, guys like LeBron James and Aaron Judge, who are these six foot seven behemoths getting out there on a soccer field chasing around Europeans who are like five foot ten, like, no, you're, you're not the best anymore. Yeah. Anyway, um, tell me about Dave the Diver. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'll come on Dave the Diver. Um, I
2: think we, we talked about it last time, and I'm not exactly sure what all I said about it. Um,
0: You're still pretty early on.
2: Yeah, yeah, and it's, uh, I, I'm now, I think on chapter six, I forget how many total, I think there was like seven or eight chapters, but I'm kind of, I feel like I'm getting closer to the, uh, you know, towards the end of the game. And it's a really, really fun and addictive game where in the loop is that you are uh, this pudgy little diver named Dave who swims underwater, collects fish, and then brings them to the sushi restaurant that you manage. So it ends up being two kind of oscillating kind of gameplays where you're in the water and it's kind of this sort of stressful fish-catching thing that you have to do based on certain constraints. Um, and then, uh, you know, a management sim, a restaurant management sim. Um and at, at, at its very surface level, that's kind of what the game is about, but there's a lot going on in it, um, including all of these different um, mini-games that exist throughout the world, um, and all of these other things that you then manage. It, it doesn't just end up being a restaurant, it ends up being a farm that you manage, and then a fish farm as well, To unlock, so you can breed your own fish, you can grow your vegetables, and make not just little plates of sushi of just, like, rice with a little piece of fish on it, but to actually make actual, like, dishes and stuff like that. Every, uh, and, then, and then they'll have, like, in a calendar month, they'll have probably 10 different events, and these events would be things like what they call VIP days, where it'll be Cucumber Day, where all of the dishes that you make involving cucumber are worth a ton more. Or it might be Shark Day, so all of the shark-related dishes that you can make are worth a lot more. They have... Contests, Iron you know Iron Chef? Remember that show Iron mm-hmm. Chef? Very much like Iron Chef, they bring in these competing chefs that you have to go up against usually about once a week. And the um, zinc where... saucier. Yeah, yeah, and they make the it's almost like imagine like a Wario style mini game, series of minigames you have to do to make the dish where it'll be like, you know, like uh, chop the seaweed or batter the shrimp or saute the stuff and you've gotta do all that different all these different things at the right time. Um, in the sort of a rhythm game mechanic, uh, to pro- properly prepare a dish that then gets rated by the judge. And if you, you know, if you win your restaurant gains in prestige, um, there's a whole like thing about building out a bunch of different weapons. Cause you get all of these vari- this for huge variety of weapons. Gosh, there has to be at least two or 300 unique kinds of fish throughout the game that you capture, um, capture and kill, you know. A lot of uh, there, there's like a whole um, sea people part. They're kind of like mermaid-looking people, and they have this whole another whole other village you can go to that's sort of underwater, Um, and it's got all these other different shops and things like that. Again, it's it's in the the it's got a really good sense of humor, kind of in the vein of something what I recall of like Sports Story uh, or like Golf Story. I didn't play Sports Story, but Golf Story. How it was just kind of quirky and funny, Um, and this is too a lot of pixel art and the pixel art is just fantastic um i'm i'm totally suckered into this game i absolutely love it it's a really just enjoyable kind of game to you can can put it on the big screen and play it and just enjoy the vibes or you can just sit there handheld and just just kind of get into the groove of it it's really really fun game um i have i have absolutely fallen in love with it i've had a hard time picking up other games i bought some other games to try out um uh, oh, and the other interesting thing about it is there's apparently a big expansion coming out that's going to be free. Like, free DLC, I guess, is coming down the pipes for um, people that have the game. Um, but there's also... I also picked up the game Dredge. And Dredge um, is another highly... Like, um, highly very well-reviewed, very well-received game that's kind of of a similar prem- premise except instead of it being sort of this side-scrolling pixel art game, it's this like Lovecraftian horror game where you have to go out at nu- and, and and like try to avoid the big Lovecraftian monsters as you try to catch fish in a big boat.
1: <laughs>
2: um and the creators of both of those because I believe both dev teams consist of just a couple of people, they're making a crossover game together, which oh, nice. will be yeah, it's like Dave the Diver in the Dredge world. Um, so really, really excited to see what happens. I guess that's going to probably happen sometime in 2024. Um, considering that both
1: book... some Lovecraftian horrors
2: <laughs> and and yeah, like Dredge is like really um, like and, and Dredge has the same idea. You show up to this island and people just tip to be like, "Hey, I need fish. Go go out there and fish." And then you upgrade your inventory, you get better nets and stuff like that. But they always say like, you know, Don't, just just make sure you get back here before nightfall. And of course, it's the kind of game that makes you want to stay out later than you should because you get greedy and you want to get that extra haul or whatever. And then once it transitions to nighttime, things start to change. And it'll be harder for you to find your way back home. And eventually, of course, these giant, again, Elder God-style things come after you. <laughs> so I, it's, it seems like it's a deeply horrifying game uh, when it comes to survival. And for what it's worth, like as as kind of like uh enjoyable as dave the diver is it does have those moments of stress when you're down to your last bit of oxygen because you got greedy and you're like "Eh, i got a little bit more room in my inventory; i could catch a few more fish and then you either can't find oxygen or you get beat up by a fish and you're like okay how can i get out of here am i even going to be able to get back to the surface with as much air as i have you know those little stressful moments do occur if you're not careful but long story short I 100% recommend you guys get this game. It is so fucking good. I don't know what you're playing. Unless you're playing Breath of the Wild or Mario Wonder, I don't know what you're playing right now that's better than this game. So, if you haven't picked this game up, and it's by the way, it's only available on the Switch. It's it's a PC exclusive and Switch. So, this is something that's specific to Nintendo. Like it's really really worth it. I would say for sure check this
0: game out. So, the thing that I'm playing instead of Dave the Diver is SteamWorld Build. It's another one where, I, I have mentioned this one before, uh, when we did the official show for November, the game had just come out, so it was really early on. I played a bunch more of it, and I think like uh, I went through the general premise. It's a, a robot, a town builder in the Old West. Um, they there, There's like uh, lots of resources to manage i compared it to the pc caesar series of games where you know you're building a town and like you get like a a certain base level of house then as you add amenities to your town um you know different sources of food and different forms of entertainment the houses will improve and then in order to get them to keep on improving you have to add more amenities different types of entertainment uh certain uh, robots will like um, like alcoholic beverages, or like you put in a casino, or uh, and and like or, or like guns, like robots like to carry their guns around as little fashion statements, or hats. So you need like a hat factory. But every sort of new amenity that you add also has these required raw materials that go along with them, oftentimes specific just to that. Um, certain like shop or entertainment venue so uh, when you are looking to expand your town and improve the houses you then have to think about okay now i need to have all of these raw materials so the, the first uh, run through that i was doing with the game uh, space was at a premium and i got into a situation where i was just out of room and I wasn't able to produce the amount of raw materials I need to support the town anymore. So what I ended up doing is I just ended up starting over. And the second time I was playing through this, so there's five available like map scenarios in the game, and I'm I'm working my way through the first one. Um, the when I restarted, I was a little bit more mindful about what sort of raw materials I actually needed to produce and what the spacing between all of these things should be. So I had a little bit better of a handle on where I should be placing these these buildings and how many residences I should actually be building because uh, one of the other things I ran into the first time around is I just didn't have like I was out of room and also didn't have enough like townspeople. Uh, because I wasn't collecting enough tax revenue to sustain all of the buildings I was having to build. Uh, so there's like this this whole economy system to it. And like there you have your, your surface level stuff where you're building town. There's also like uh, a mine that you go down underneath where you're like mining materials. Like, like iron and you're turning that like some of your raw materials that you need for the surface are actually down in the mine. So you need to like manage different layers of this town. And... Uh so the the second time around, I also discovered that there was like this, this zone uh, kind of off like past a, a cliff that I could build in and expanded like the amount of real estate that I had by about 30%. So it gave me like a hefty little chunk that I didn't realize I had before. Um, so this second attempt at this map is... Is going a bit smoother, especially early on. I had a better handle of what I was doing, and I I was aware of like what I should take my time with, and like allow the town to develop in certain aspects before I tried to improve it even more. I think the first time I was just trying to like lightning quick get everything uh, improved immediately. Whereas this time I was like, oh, no, I'm gonna let these raw materials build up, and then you know start producing them into things and have this like more like slow burn economy to it. And that's worked out a lot better. But now that I'm getting close to the end, I'm starting to run into the same issues again, where there are certain raw materials that are uh, consumable, and you need to actually build uh, like defensive things in the mines, because like monsters can attack your, your facilities down on your mines. So you need to set up some defenses that are becoming scarce. There is a Uh, a trade options like if you're overproducing something there's a train that comes to your town every four or five minutes and you can sell off things that you don't need as much of in order to buy things that you do need more of so I'm trying to use that to uh, bolster my my dwindling resources but it's getting to the point where like there's a lot that you need happening all at once in order to keep this town uh, functioning it's not like okay I've built all of the the cactus farms that I need and now I'm done with those like no as your town expands you then need to make more cactus farms because as like there there are certain base things that your entire population wants so even though you don't like necessarily need all of your population to be the like upper crust, um, uh, aristocratic robots. Uh, in fact, you can't do that. You need to have a, like a, a workforce that's like bottom rung and middle tier, which is kind of fucked up. But you need to have this diversity of workforce because your aristocrat robots aren't going to go chop wood for you. They leave that to the workers. Again, kind of a fucked up cast system they got in this game. Um, so the, the more... Uh, sort of economically advanced your your certain citizens get, the more you have to expand that workforce in order to just support the base needs. So there, there's a lot of management of these different resources and the things they produce. They do like have a, uh, a screen that will show you like, okay, this is how much you're producing, this is how much demand you have for this resource. Um, so you can make sure that you're uh, producing exactly what you need or an abundance of it which is what I try to go for because I have uh, materials to trade but then um, anytime you expand your population you're going to need to make you need to check to make sure okay am I still producing enough of these raw materials and sometimes you'll get into a situation where there's just not enough available there's only a certain amount of um, iron down in the mine there's only a certain amount of spots where you can mine iron down in your mine so if you have a population that needs more than you're than you possibly are able to get then you need to start trading for it there's no way that you can uh, uh just kind of work it out uh, and be like a self-sufficient town so i don't know i think um i'm i'm having a better time with it the first time but i keep running into the same a roadblock over and over again so when if I I think I'm getting close to the end once I finish this map I'll see how I feel if I'm like right at the end and having like this one last hurdle to get over I'll probably be okay with it to try another map at some point but if it like if I get to the end if I overcome this hurdle and then like get hit with another one all over again I'm like okay now like you're 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 putting up too much resistance for your t- silly little town building game. Just let me build the town and have fun with it. I don't know why you need to send bugs to invade me every five minutes. Just relax. But yeah, that's what I got instead of Dave the Diver. I bought it before you talked about Dave the Diver, so now I'm kind of stuck with it.
2: Well, it's a lot more it's a lot more complex than what you because I remember you giving me like you're giving us your thoughts on it, like two or three weeks ago or whatever and it seems like there's way more depth to it than yeah what i had initially thought just from looking at some screen grabs it's interesting to hear that there are a bunch of layered mechanics like not even just like managing this sort of capitalist system that you have as well where you know you have to actually control uh who, who who the classes are in this society and right all this other stuff and yeah it's not not literally just slapping down buildings and connecting telephone wires and electricity
0: poles or whatever right and and unlike uh like we were talking about before all of these buildings look the same it's like if you need to check okay am i producing enough glassware for the distillery so they can deliver alcohol to the saloon um you can't, it, it won't be just able to scroll around your town to make sure you have enough you actually have to use the, the tracking page to look at the numbers to track your resources um, and there they're also like uh, if you build a casino you need to put it within a area that's going to cover enough of your town otherwise you'll have to end up building two so you need to be mindful when you're placing like ca- casino is one of like the, the upper crust like aristocrat buildings that they like to have in order to, to produce more tax revenue for you. In order to keep them happy and to maximize your population and your tax revenue, uh, you need to have one of these things. But you need to make sure like when you're placing your zone where your aristocrat robots are going to live, you need to leave a space in order to place these buildings so that they cover the entirety of those Houses because otherwise, you'll end up with a house for an aristocrat that, like, maybe just far enough away from the casino. I was like, no, 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 I need that closer. So, you do have the option to move it. But again, like, that real estate is at such a premium that if you're not like city planning when you start the game and have an idea of where you want things and how like your your raw materials are going to get to where they need to be. You're gonna run into a situation like, "Oh shit, I need this building here that I didn't know I needed before, and I don't have a spot for it." That's tough. Yeah. How does um like
2: I know I know a game like this, and looking at it, it, it feels like it might be a game that's a bit friendlier to play
0: on like a computer with a mouse and keyboard. Like, how mm-hmm. does how sure.
2: is the is there a lot of menuing you have to do? Does the game play okay on Switch?
0: There's a lot of menuing that you have to do. It plays okay. The biggest challenge is finding the correct amount of like zoom in, zoom out, to where that you have like that fine tuning of control that you don't get out of mouse and keyboard using analog stick for like placement and stuff. So there've been times where I've just placed things in the wrong spot, and it does have a move cursor. So you can just like, okay, I've built this, now I just need to slide it over a little bit. But yeah, this this game, like the precision of a mouse would be ideal for something like this. And yeah, I remember be, being able to like have like a larger screen. Like watching it on a TV works, but I'm a little too far away from the TV. I need to scoot closer and like watching like using the, like the the switch screen, um it's a little too small. I have to zoom in quite a bit in order to get like a, a good idea of what's actually happening in the town.
1: Maybe you're just old. Maybe I'm
0: just old. Maybe I'm just close to death. So, yeah. I remember. The pictures
1: on doing you ain't good. Yeah,
2: I was gonna say. I remember picking up a Civ game. I think it's like Civ Six or whatever got released mm. on Switch, and it was like yeah. a game that was like fifteen bucks. I was like, this is a AAA game, like for fifteen bucks, that's unreal. And that kind of was my complaint. It was like it was it was fun enough, and it worked, and it played fine. But it's like, God, the entire time I was just like, this would be
0: so much easier. if <laughs> I just had a mouse and keyboard. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. and especially like toggling through all the menus because it's like using the analog stick to scroll around and when you open up like your your building menus which are sometimes like three menus deep you're using the the D-pad approximation on the Joy-Con to navigate those it's you know there's a lot of fiddling around in menus that could be better suited with uh, a, a more intricate control system Wes what you got tag in
1: uh, I haven't started Mario RPG yet. You lent that to me, but I haven't really been around to play no, it. That was yet. just a but few I days ago. I did play a game. Yeah. But I did play a bit, just a bit of a game with a friend of mine called Untitled Goose Game. Oh, nice. So we did some two-player Untitled Goose Game, and that was a lot of fun. That, nice. that game, I didn't know it had two-player. Mm-hmm. Um, I just kind of stumbled across it when I turned it on. I was like, oh, well, there's two gooses running around, which... um. Maybe made it easier in certain things, like in that first part with the farmer. you would be like, all right, I need you to go over there, grab this carrot, distract him, take him over there, and I'll grab this and make a run for yeah. it, you know, that kind of yeah. thing. So it did make it a little easier, opposed to, like, trying to get more creative, like turning on faucets so you had to go turn it off so you can grab something and things like that. Yeah, um, all the
0: misdirection is easier if you got another person to help you out.
1: Oh, no, yeah, definitely. It's fun. It's charming. I like the little task and everything like that. Um, some of them, I I still have no idea how, like, how am I supposed to get the glasses off the little boy and make him put on another pair of glasses? Yeah, And locking him in a phone booth, that's just
0: delightful. (laughs) The the, the torture (laughs) that it, like, has you do to that child is just sublime.
1: Oh, gosh, I stole his toy. And I put it on the table with, at the shop and made him buy his own uh-huh, toy yep. back. I'm like, oh my <laughs> god, this poor <laughs> kid just tormenting him.
0: Just yeah, it's <laughs> the most sadistic day- game ever made.
1: Oh my gosh, it's so much fun. It was just, it was just delightful. Mm-hmm. How do you do the glasses thing? I I, I will never figure that out. Um, I
0: don't remember. There is something that you can do that makes him drop it, and it's again like a game of misdirect. Like the, the thing that you do that has him drop the glasses, then you then have to take them and hide them, and then put a like, be ready to put a different pair of glasses in the spot as you're searching around for them. Mm. So he'll like mm. you'll you'll have them ready. He'll do the thing that makes him drop them. You'll drop the glasses, and then you pick up his and real quick as he's searching around. All right. But I forget what the thing is that makes them do it. Ah, well. Uh, Ryan, you got anything else? No. I mean, that's, that's kind of... That game has
2: monopolized my, my mm. gaming habits.
0: I do have a couple other things that I've been playing. I've been playing through uh, Legend of Zelda Oracle of Ages, which is on the Nintendo Switch Online Game Boy uh, application. Um, I, I talked about Oracle of Seasons a few weeks back or a couple months back, Um <laughs> Oracle of Ages is like the, the the sister game that came out right alongside of it. There's sort of like two sides of the same coin. I really like Oracle of Ages. It's definitely my favorite of the two. One of my favorite handheld Zelda games uh, because like the the concept is you're flipping between uh, the the present day and the past, and much like a link to the past, things you do on one side of the coin affect the other. Primarily, like things you do in the past affect. The things that are happening in the present, and they, there's just a lot of really fun, um, logical puzzles that they they do with the, uh, the the sort of like flipping back and forth between the, the two worlds and what access points you have to which world at what time. Uh, there's also like a lot of really fun puzzle type things that you have to go through before you're even able to access the dungeon, much like any. Uh, most other Zelda games. Uh, there are dungeons that you go into and you collect your little MacGuffin, and then once you've got enough of them, you face the final boss. And you get different tools within those. Um, we, we all know the formula. But there's a... Uh, uh, like a a whole like island sequence that you go to where you lose all of the gear you've had to that point. It's kind of like a Metroid. You have to go through this whole sequence to get all of your gear back before you can even access the dungeon. There's another sequence that's pretty similar to that where you have to go through this, this, uh, uh, carnival of Gorons where you have to play all these different games, all these mini-games with these Gorons in order to uh, get an item to give to another Goron to play another mini-game and, and that has also has you like flipping back and forth between the past and the present in order to give the right item to the right NPC so that you get the key to the dungeon. And that's an interesting dungeon because you play it in two parts. You play part of the dungeon in the past and you play part of the dungeon in the present and it's kind of like the... Um, what was it in A Link to the Past? Not the thieves' hideout, but the dungeon in the Lost Woods, where like part of it is on the surface and the other part is like the actual dungeon underground. You have all these different access points in the surface in A Link to the Past. But yeah, Oracle of Ages, really, really cool game. Big thumbs up. Um, one of my favorite Zelda games. And then is, the,
2: is Ricky back?
0: Ricky is back. Yes. Yes. And,
2: okay. So it's got to be at least that good, right?
0: Yep. And, and when when you uh, if you played Oracle of Seasons first, they give you this passcode, and you enter the passcode at the beginning of Oracle of Ages, and there are characters who will show up, and they'll recognize you. Like Ricky will show up, like, "Oh, hey, we met over in the thing. Uh, help me find my boxing gloves again." And then you do, and then he's like, "Okay, well, here's the 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 flute that you can use to call me whenever you want." And then you have a kangaroo you can just ride around, which you should. Um, oh, one of the, one of the other things that I noticed for the first time playing this game is there are there are characters in Oracle of Seasons that will migrate over to Oracle of Ages, like kind of being tourists in that area. But there's one particular character; she's one of the um, uh, characters that occupies the uh, underground sort of zone in Oracle of Seasons. Her name is Rosa. She, when she shows up in Oracle of Ages, she shows up in the past era of Oracle of Ages, which has some weird implications as to like, wait, were we in the past in Oracle of Ages seasons where we met her? Why aren't why isn't she in the, occupying the present day in both sides of the game? I don't know. It's very weird. They probably, I'm probably thinking about it more than they thought about it when they were making the game. But yeah. Uh, the other game that I've been tinkering with a little bit is uh, a game called Gal Guardians. This is a game from Inti Creates, who, among other things, make the Azura Striker Gunvolt games. They made a lot of the Mega Man Zero games back in the day. and I believe they, also, they, they worked on uh, Bloodstained, Ritual of the Night, and the sort of 8-bit spin-offs of that uh, game. And this is one... I bought it because it looked like a like a castlevania style game like a like a symphony of the night sort of a uh enter the castle and uh get new gear that allows you to advance like the sort of metroid formula of castlevania however this game works more much more like the nes and super nintendo versions of castlevania where it's more level based so you just kind of go through like these these action platformer zones. There's two characters. One is ranged. One is melee. You can swap between the two depending on the enemy you're fighting. You take on a boss. When you take on a boss, you get a new like sub weapon or new skill, and you can like re-enter previous levels and see if there's like your, your your classmates that you can rescue in each zone. Sometimes you won't be able to access them until you get the appropriate power up. Um, but I'm not gonna do that. Like the the game like is fine. Like it, um, the platforming and sort of like uh, mechanical complexity of these these games that Into makes is always functional, but not always super elegant. Like they're they're not like presenting you with a very demanding or uh, I, I guess uh, 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 intricate. Platforming or action challenges, it is rudimentary, but not like in the pejorative sense. It's they're not very ambitious games when it comes to the level design. It'd be nice to to see them like actually try to offer more of a challenge to the sort of action and platforming that they do in their games, well, rather than just like give you these tons of skills to work with, have a few skills, but then give you a bunch of different ways to use them. Um. Also, one of the other reasons that I'm not going to go back to, like, complete everything in this game is that, like, there's not really a map or a, a way to gauge your progress. Like, if there were a, a, a map that I could access of, like, the first level and it shows, okay, here's places you haven't been and you've only rescued one out of three of your classmates in this area, I might, I might feel compelled to go back to complete the checklist But they don't offer me a checklist, so I don't feel compelled to complete anything. Um, But yeah, it's it's eight levels. I'm about halfway through. I'll finish off the the levels. It's it's fun enough. Like the the bosses, um, uh, pretty similar to like uh, a contra, where there's like a pattern of their actions, and once you figure out the pattern, okay, well now I can uh, execute this, and they're they're all pretty fun. But you know the the game, it's fine, but nothing super noteworthy. Nothing to write home about but that's it that's all I got you guys got any other topics that we want to talk about on this mini show Mm, I don't think so
1: no I uh yeah I think I'm pretty good okay nice and
0: easy mini show not watching any movies other than ones that came out 21 years ago
2: (laughs) oh I've watched far too many (laughs) I watched 1992's Juice I watched that one I don't know that one yeah, it was the film debut of Tupac Shakur and Omar mm. Epps. It's uh, made by the cinematographer that worked
0: with Spike Lee. Spike Lee's not involved in this one. Mm. It was really good.
2: It was really good. I liked it.
0: That's fun. I watched another movie from the early 90s, Alien 3. Oh, I love it. Fincher's, but not, Fincher's not, Alien, not, right? Not the Fincher cut. The Fincher cut is like weirdly hard to... like. I can't stream it. I can only purchase it on Amazon Digital or I can like... I have a collection, but the collection that I have doesn't have the Fincher cut. It only has the theatrical. And the Fincher cut is a very different movie. It's much more interesting. The theatrical version is not very good. Sadly.
1: Yeah. I think I bought you that for Christmas one year. I'm...
0: The The, the four-movie collection? Yeah. No, I do have a bone to pick with... Not you, Wes. You're cool. With 20th Century Fox <laughs> for that collection because it's it says it's the four-movie quadrilogy. Uh, one alien resurrection is not uh canon uh and two a collection of four things is not a quadrilogy it's a tetralogy (laughs) learn english 20th century fox
2: i think um the the old (coughs) movies themselves don't even feel related Is the Mm -hmm. thing and by the way they're all great uh i will step up to bat for every single one of the originals uh but they're all yeah they're all totally different genres It's like the first one's a horror film, the second one's an action film the third one's sort of a reflective drama about the prison system and then the fourth one's just comedy yeah like it's you' can't, you can't sleep on how good
0: bad resurrection is those are the alien resurrection form. like like I, I will not step up to bat for that movie as a good movie it's a bad movie but it is a romp. It's, it, it is, is a, it is it's a entertainment. movie. It yeah, is a movie. Yeah, pure you will, entertainment. You won't be bored watching Alien Resurrection. Yeah. Um. Speaking of horror movies, kinda,
2: Go kinda. On.
1: I watched one the other day. Um, it's in the same kind of a feel as like um. I, always, I I make this comparison. The Velocipaster, If you guys have seen that no. one. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh gosh, that's that's a fun movie. But this is called um, The Slother House. Nice. And it's about a sorority that gets a pet sloth <laughs> that eventually goes on a killing spree. Okay. And just starts murdering people in this house. Mm. <laughs> this is the dumbest... The beginning of this movie was so boring. And I-, I was like, why are we watching this? And then like, the murder started happening. And I was like, okay, I get it now. I'm... I'm- I'm in let's let's see where this goes and it, it was just wacky fun <laughs> but it's one of those movies where it's it's purposely really bad because that's the comedy of it is that it's really bad um, and just way over the top nothing makes sense at some point the sloth is in a car and it's driving to the hospital to finish off one of its victims and you're like it's a sloth. <laughs> <laughs>
0: It's just a good time. It's just a slow-moving murder. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I did watch um, that Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, speaking of bad horror movies. And that's a movie that was entirely trading on its premise. Um, But otherwise, it's just a a super formulaic, run-of-the-mill, garden-variety slasher movie. Like The fact that they are Winnie the Pooh characters going around killing sorority girls is incidental. They they don't really do anything fun with the sort of characterization. There's no real playfulness with the fact that they're using these you know beloved children's characters in the slasher horror movie. They are just like these silent stoic killers. They could have replaced them with anything. It was it was disappointing. It's disappointing. Yeah. The fact that like they they it's, they refuse to have fun with the fact that they had these characters to use in a horror movie. Uh, I also watched um, I, uh, another horror movie just the other day. I watched uh, The Exorcist Believer, which is uh, a sort of a, as direct as you can be 30 years later or however long it's been since the original Exorcist uh, following up that movie. Uh, a, a couple of the uh, original cast returns, specifically the, the mom in the original Exorcist movie. But again, it was a, a, a very by the numbers, it doesn't do anything unexpected. Uh, which is I think something that, you know, if, if you're being a bit more ambitious with your your, your filmmaking, with your sort of uh, storytelling, you're going to want to try to do something new. But it was pretty much like, no, it's it's The Exorcist again, except now there's two possessed children. Um, <laughs> otherwise, you know, there's, there's nothing really noteworthy about it. Mm-hmm. Also kind of a bummer.
1: I want I watched the first half of episode one. I was killing time, but of I, what? I of Scott Pilgrim versus the um, World on Netflix. Oh yeah,
0: the the uh, animated the cartoon. That's yeah. great. It's it's
1: it was really fun. Just the first part. I, I mean, I'm excited to get back to the show. Uh, I haven't had time to do it though, but I was really enjoying it. it it's it's very true to the the series and. The people who are voicing the characters are the people that did the voice, the, the live action. Michael Cera, Scott mm-hmm. Pilgrim, and so on and so forth. And they got a few new um, people doing in some extra characters and stuff. But I thought that was really cool that all the original people came back and did the voice acting for this show. So
0: you haven't? Uh, have you finished the first episode?
1: No, no, I'm like halfway okay,
0: through. Okay, I will, it. I will say um, nothing then. But
1: yeah, I watched. If you, oh, I
0: finished the series.
1: Have you yeah, finished yeah. the series? Is oh yeah, good? I really
0: liked it. It was fun. Ryan, did you watch that one? I don't think so. It's uh, I think Edgar Wright, again, is directing, or at least producing, this adaptation of Scott Pilgrim.
2: Oh, wait, wait, there's a... Wait, the film? Or the, it's is a there cartoon. A, oh, it's a cartoon, it's a cartoon series. Cartoon. Yeah, it's, I mean, uh, I've seen the movie.
0: Yeah. Eight-episode Netflix mm. series.
1: Oh,
2: I didn't know that he made a, a, a series ver- version of it. Like,
1: It just came yeah. out. Okay. Like, November. Yeah,
0: which like is it. wild that they were able to, like, reassemble the cast, because that movie came out, like, ten years ago. And some pretty big names out of that cast, too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Captain America. Captain a Marvel. Mm-hmm. Got a, a couple of MCU alums on that cast now. <laughs> <laughs> um. But, yeah. Oh, oh, oh. Uh uh, speaking of uh, of miniseries, uh, Ryan, how are you liking a murder at the end of the world? Oh, it's really good so far.
2: Um, I'm thinking maybe four or five episodes in now. Okay. Um, yeah, it, there's there've been some clever twists along the way. I guess it still hasn't sort of sorted itself out yet, but I mean we'll we'll see where it goes. And of course, it's this whole
0: scenario where it's never just
2: never just one murder.
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's um, uh, one that uh, the 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 filmmakers the the showrunners uh director producer team they also did uh, movies that we we talked about uh over the years uh another earth sound of my voice uh the oa like we they've done a bunch of stuff like really interesting stuff that um you know usually like ends up delivering something really intre- like uh uh that has a, a, a sort of ending that leaves you like uh, feeling a feeling away about it like it's not something that's going to like, maybe totally pull the rug out from underneath you, but we'll be like, oh, okay, well, here's here's something to actually think about for a little while. Um, there's another Hulu. I know we're, all right, we're, we're just about done here. But there's another Hulu series um, from... Oh, it's getting so late that I can't remember the guy's name. The director... Oh, Alex Garland did a Hulu series called oh, Devs. Okay, cool. Yeah, and this one's got... Uh, I think the only name that i recognize from it is nick offerman and he's like this uh this this tech mogul and he's got this like secret like really secretive uh development um uh, sort of studio or or branch of his his tech company that you know as um as the series goes on, you learn about more of what they're doing. It's a it's a really interesting one, very much in the vein of like the Alex Garland uh, like like Ex Machina. Reminds me a lot of that one. Mm-hmm. Not so much like uh, like Men. It's very different from Men.
2: <laughs> I don't think there's much out there that's like that one. <laughs> that's it's true. That's
0: pretty. It is a unique
2: film. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, but that's it. Next up is the retro show. It is going to be mostly movies.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. We we will spend two minutes on music if that,
0: uh, and and maybe four. And like, Gosh, on there's games. just so many movies. Oh my god. Yeah, uh, pretty much the games were were just about done being released for the month, um, so not a whole lot to talk about there. But yeah, goddamn, all those. You're movies. not gonna
2: give us a beat by
0: beat breakdown of Sonic Advance Two? I mean, I might. It depends on how we're t- like how many other games there are. I might vamp on Sonic Advance two for a while. <laughs> um, but like, oh, oh uh, just real quick tease. January, um, not really great for for movies, but there's like a couple of interesting ones. But mm-hmm. in January of two thousand and three there are a handful of GameCube games that are worth talking about. Specifically, Resident Evil 2 will get a port to GameCube as well as Resident Evil 3. So the Resident Evil games just keep on coming. Very, very nice. Yep. Um, But that's it. End of podcast. So long. Later.